I want to talk to you today about the doctrine of salvation. I started out with the doctrine of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, and is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, that verse 16, I'm on verse 16, uh, it'll make you wise to salvation. And it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's primarily what's happening on Sunday mornings. There's training in righteousness. Righteousness is being right with God and being, and, you know, what's right about life, what's right in the world happens and emanates through what Jesus Christ has done. The world is fallen. We all were under the power of the evil one. We were of our father, the devil, Jesus told the Pharisees and the scribes. And for that matter, all of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm going to show you things Jesus was not appointed or assigned to do. And I'm going to tell you what he was appointed to do in a moment. But this is for training and righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, woman of God, child of God may be adequate. There's a lot of adequacy, inadequacy feelings that the the accuser, the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, tries to undermine about you as a mother or, or, or a father or you as a single person or you in your job. And he's, he's the father of lies. And the only way you can overcome that is with the truth. And Jesus is the truth. And you'll know that truth and that truth will set you free. And so there's an adequacy, there's a sufficiency that comes. And I'm, I'm not going to hold back. I, I want to give you the whole counsel of God. You know, I last week talked to you about there is a hell to avoid. Well, there's a heaven to gain. And the tremendous, terrific problems of humanity, the sin that separates us and the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, actually, in fact, has been resolved through the master stroke of love on Jesus on the cross. He died for us so we could have eternal life. We'd be raised up to walk in newness of life. Now, I'm going to show you a verse that's exploded off the pages, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 through 21, but this verse right here is what I started this series on with the doctrine of the Bible. I think it's important we all understand and fall back in love with this book. I know that there, there are new electronics and apps. You can use your phone, and I use those. I switched from a paper, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, years ago to a computer, then a laptop computer. Now there's technology on iPads and phones and it's a wonderful moment to have terrific access to teaching. You could do word studies. You could find the Greek and Hebrew definitions. It's amazing what's downloaded now. Uh, but I think that looking at your paper Bible and the hand-eye dexterity coordination thing that happens, taking a pen and underlining things, rewriting the scriptures on pages, for me and my learning style has always been a help. It's like a meditation through a fountain pen, you know, or a ballpoint pen, you know, and I just rewrite it. I have to write it a little slower, and, and I underline it so I could find it on my page in the Bible, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man, woman, or child of God may be adequate and sufficient, and this is what the whole focus of and goal is for this message, that you guys would be trained. Look at verse 15, in fact, because Paul told Timothy about the influence of his grandmother and his mother. Don't underestimate the value of these impressions you generate, the seeds you sow. We're all products 
of the impact of the prayers of others, the communication of others, the testimony of others. It says that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able, look, to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. The sacred writings, the word of God, brings wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Remember what Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He was so enthralled that he was going to leave the confines of Jerusalem and go out to the Gentile world. The gospel, the, the covenant, the provision of God was going to break out of the Jewish context and, and not only impact the Jews, but also the non-Jews, so that all of us, every nation, all ethnicities, both genders, all ages, can have a shot at coming to know the Lord. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look what it says next. Therefore therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Who's been with me for the last couple weeks? I'll give you a quick review. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, is worth you looking at in your Bible and actually beating a path and parking in this corner of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I had a great conversation with Reinhard Bonnke. The last time he was with us, it was during a hurricane in Florida. He had been evicted from his uh, apartment, he and his wife, and their cat. And uh, they, they came up here, and they stayed for about 10 days. And I left him alone. I didn't want to bother him. But he wanted to have lunch with us. So he got with us, amazing evangelist, uh, born in Germany, spent most of their lives in Africa. And uh, I was asking him, he wanted, he's asked me anything. So we were talking about... Uh, the internet and, and how he was doing outreach through algorithms and things like that. It's fascinating. He was, he was spurning me to action, you know. I was reluctant in some ways, and he was rebuking me in a loving way. Well, then I asked him, what do you think about, you know, this predestination and uh, election and things like that? He said, this is what I believe, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He said, if anyone is in Christ, it's all about being in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Well, you're a new creature, and I'm a new creature preacher. Listen, the old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. This must be the emphasis. I think this is where we are to land in church. I'm not advocating a lopsidedness. Uh, Paul was told to preach the whole counsel of this life. We should share the full spectrum, and this is why I'm going through this foundational series on Sundays for, in many cases, you to be stirred up by a reminder. But I'm a big believer in two things, in a global harvest of, of the lost and a revival amongst the saved. I believe we're going to see something happen in the world where people will be roused and people will become interested in the things of God and they're going to end up needing to know about the Jesus that lives on the inside of you. And then it continues in 2 Corinthians chapter. 5 verse 18, it says, now all these things are from God. These new things, these things about being righteous, how we were lost and alienated and separated, but now we've been brought near. Colossians 1.13 says he transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. There's been a positional change. We were lost and had no hope, alienated and separated, but in a millisecond, 
We call on the name of the Lord, we're saved. Salvation, by the way, is not a process. It's an, a new birth. It happens like a birth. How many of you have seen your, a child born? I got to watch my wife have four children. I was in Lamaze during the 70s and 80s. We had kids in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And in the 70s, I was, uh, like a, I was a breath coach. And that basically meant I just panted over my wife while she was laying there doing all the work. But I think they did that to incorporate the husband and wife and create bonding, and it did. And, uh, but I, that was the singular most amazing. I didn't have to go climb Mount Everest. I didn't have to go skydiving. I watched my wife have a baby. I thought that was the pinnacle of anything I'd ever see in my life. It was absolutely the miracle of a birth. It's fantastic. And we got my little sweet treasure, Chelsea, and they handed her to me. And I went, Patsy, she has red hair. You know, and so the, the rest is history. It was just amazing. Dedicated her to the Lord. She loves the Lord. And thankfully, our kids are moving toward all that God has for them. Uh, but like what Nicodemus asked in John chapter 3, verse 1, at night he came out as businessman with a prestigious title, uh, not wanting to be uh, seen by his, his peers, you know, as, as going and talking to this, this rabbi from Galilee. Master, I could tell you're from God because of these miracles. And Jesus turns to him and says something astounding. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And he just basically made a pronouncement. He didn't even, he didn't even uh, go toe-to-toe with Nicodemus' rhetoric. He just immediately cut to the chase and provided a lifeline. You need to have a new birth. I have come that they might have life. I have come to preach good news. Salvation belongs to our God, and he has dispatched it. And you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. I'm glad Nicodemus came out at night and Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus accommodated him and loved him and was open. So later on, he says, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Like Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? Does he have to enter into his mother's womb a second time? And, you know, he's thinking in natural terms. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And this makes great distinction. We in our, we're going to look at this later on in our foundation class, studying about the nature of man. We studied about the nature of God, our Father, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We talked about the nature of the Word, that it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. God's preserved it. God's protected it. Yes, it was written by people, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and it's in fact God's Holy Word. And we ought not be ashamed of that. We ought to feed on it because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, meaning there's a human birth. But as realistically as there's a physical birth into the world, there's a new birth and you must be born again. The other day, a girl named Diana, she's from India, southern India, just got her master's degree in a certain tech job, and she's in training here in town. She's in an apartment with other trainees preparing for her career, and on her 30th birthday, she wanted to come to a church to pray for her 30th birthday. Well, my wife just happened to be here praying. The doors were all locked. It wasn't an open time, but yet somehow they found each other, and that was, she was accommodated. And the first thing my wife asked, have you received Jesus? She said, well, I've had a connection with Jesus, my parents. And, and, and so my wife made sure she prayed the prayer of salvation with her. And Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, says that if we confess with our mouth 
Jesus as Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. This is the miracle of the new birth, isn't it? And it's not a process. It's not tethered to time. It's instantaneous. You must be born again. And it's by calling upon the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven. It says in the book of Acts, given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name above every name, it says in Philippians. At the name of Jesus, every knee inevitably will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but the sacred writings make us wise unto salvation. And what I'm doing is equipping you so you, you feel an adequacy, not inadequacy, but an adequacy concerning carrying this, this amazing message through your prayer life, through your witness, through your testimony. I have a word for you. We need to testify more. We overcome by the word of our testimony. I wish in our large church and with our timetable, I wish we could factor in testimonials. I've always wanted to capture testimonies on video and somehow we're gonna do it and live spontaneous testimonies. We overcome by the word of our testimony, Revelation chapter 12, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and that we love not our lives even unto death. We get to a point where his loving kindness is better than life. We get to the point where greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, as, our, as my daughter Addison shared, that we learn the secret of being filled and going hungry. We know how to abase and how to abound. We don't lean on our own understanding. I just talked to two people that have had great promotions. One, the companies through the pandemic did acquisitions and things, and this man has been bumped up so high. He's one of 11 over 300 I thought about the 12 that God anointed and appointed. I thought, you're in that category. And he said, I know. And I prayed for that adequacy to come up out of his spirit that whom God calls, he equips. I just talked to a dear lady who's been at the ceiling of her pay scale for a long time. She's been there for faithfully for a long time, works heartily under the Lord and has been diligent. Well, the pay scale had to go up so she could go up with it. And she just got a promotion. And I just thought, that's what my God is doing. On Friday night, I talked about the miracle of favor. Psalm 5, verse 12, the Lord will bless the righteous man. He'll surround you with favor as with a shield. He'll surround you with favor, grace, mercy, abundance. I just had a brother point to me, said, God's been good to you. And I'm telling you, God, I don't know anybody on the planet that God has been better to than me. How many of you are God's favorite? Let me see a show of hands. You know what? He favors you, so it's okay for you to feel that. And, and, and that's not crass if you listen to it carefully. The Bible says God's eyes run to and fro throughout the earth looking for people whose hearts are his that he may strongly support. We hear about Jabez whose name meant pain. He was a pain in the neck to his mom. There was pain in the birth. And, yet, and he had the name pain. That was a, not only a nickname, that was the pronouncement over his life. But the Bible says in 1 Chronicles, I think chapter 4, that Jabez didn't want to be limited by a label or by the confines of a, of a definition from something that he had no control over at the beginning. Even though his birth, birthing was dis, a dysfunction and he hurt his mom and it was a bad birth, it uh, didn't mean his whole life had to be crummy. And the Bible says he was more noble than his brothers. And what did he do? He was more honorable and his his, his mother's name, his mother named him Jabez, saying, because I bore him with pain. He was the marker and the definition of all of us. 
born in the world, born in sin, born in this iniquity, born in this cesspool of darkness, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's why the, the miracle of the new birth is so significant. We've got to become proficient in the area of salvation because we're called to be salvationists. We've got to be sufficient and understanding in the area of revival because we're all called to be a revivalist, meaning we bring CPR to the hurting. We bring a supernatural help and comfort to those who are broken. Jesus, just like Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me, empowered me, equipped me to help brokenhearted people, hurting people, the prisoners, the blind, the captives. This is essentially what God's brought the church to. And this is what he's bringing us to again. In the beginning, they continued in praise and worship, and they were connected in relationship. They, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. I'll tell you what my story is. In uh, 1961, I was five years old. I lived on Galveston Street in San Diego, California. And down the street, Emmanuel Baptist Church, on 2610 Galveston Street called my family's home. And on our little loud rotary phone with the old classic ring, some of you guys have that on your ringtone because you hear, I hear it during the services. Uh, I want to say hello, but uh, I picked up the phone, you know, a little tiny little kid. Hello, Can, uh, may I speak to your mother, mom? And so she said, I listened to her half the conversation. Yes, she looked over at me. Yeah, okay, when? All right, I'll bring him. Click. That was the church down the street. And they've asked you to be part of it. They're going to do a play, and they want you to be in the play. My toes curled up. My hands got clammy. It's funny, you have stage fright before you even know what stage fright is. And uh, they, the church invited us street kids, uh, lost kids, along with the core of their children. And they invited us in. They cast me as Jesus himself. Not because I had long hair and a beard. I had a flat top. I had a flat top and not fenders. I was just all like a little burr haircut. My mom sneezed one time and it went from a flat top to a sort of a roller coaster. It gave me a bald spot. Remember that? She'd sneeze. You know, watch out for a sneezing mother with barber shears. Anyway, they gave me two lines. Let down your nets for a draft of fish and, and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I remember we were in this little makeshift boat and what they did, we were so little and the, the other kid, the kids were from the neighborhood, so we all knew each other. It was like our gang comedy. And um, they took pillowcases and cut holes in them, stuck them over us, and put twine around our waist. And we were like little biblical characters. <laughs> and um, I remember shushing Peter, shh, shh, as I was taking my role seriously. <laughs> and he was talking in the boat, you know, it's like, shh. But I remember that. And then I remember after doing the play, a 47-foot-tall elder in Emmanuel Baptist Church on 2610 Galveston Street in San Diego, Claremont, Emmanuel Baptist. And he reached down from glory with a little Gideon's New Testament, little leather-wrapped New Testament, and his hands came out through the clouds down, and he leaned over and he said to me, this is your Bible, read it. And I went, just like you think you would, you know, yes, sir. And that imprinted on me in 1961. And then we moved with my dad worked for aerospace and he was transferred from, from Convair in San Diego to 
the Pomona Division. And that was up near Mount Baldy in the San Gabriel Mountain Range, which in, in the LA area, it's LA Basin. And this is a mountain range that goes about like this. And then there's the shoreline. And then there's this dense population of San Bernardino, Los Angeles, tens of millions of people. I don't know how many millions of people lived there then. But a lot of air pollution and a lot of smog. And it seemed to catch right where we moved. So we went from the idyllic San Diego and its weather and the breeze, ocean breezes and the temperate climate to this really harsh environment. I got pulled away from my friends. My, my brother was about 10, I was about 13. The summer of 1969, and my mother, who I think now looking back, wanted to unload the two unhappy little kids that transferred from San Diego Ocean to the, the, the smoggy, hot environment of the Inland Empire. She drove by on Baseline Boulevard and saw a beautiful white church steeple and a brand new building, a Lutheran church that had a poster out in the front welcoming not only the church membership, but any kids who wanted to go to vacation Bible school. My brother and I did not want to go. We have heel marks on Baseline Boulevard showing uh, that, that certify that we didn't want to be there, but she dropped us off. And I remember just moping my way in there like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld says that when men go shopping with their wives, their bones get all rubbery. And that's, this is what started to happen to me. My, oh, and then also the heel marks. Listen, don't be moved by what you see with people. Don't fear their faces. Don't underestimate the value of what I'm preaching today. This is actually Theology 101. This is actually quite deep, the way, what I'm teaching. Maybe the way I'm teaching is pretty simple. But I, do, I don't have the luxury of making it complicated. I have, as a pastor, to teach you this in a way that translates and applies. So you will be activated and deployed as a witness, as a light bearer, and as an effective uh, a person that appeals and draws people out of darkness. You've got the ministry of reconciliation. You have the word of reconciliation. And I'm going to tie this all together. I am a product, not of a Billy Graham crusade or not of a Reinhard Bonnke crusade, although I've been in both. I had the privilege of being in the same room with both of those men. I got to hear them personally speak. We contributed to them in the ends of their lives and supported them. Our church actually gave to the Billy Graham crusade more than any church in the bi-state area when he came in 1999. That's the nature of this ministry. We believe God's generous and wants us to finance advancement and finance the kingdom and finance the gospel and carry the gospel. But I wasn't a product of the one to the many. I really wasn't even a product of one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, I talk about different individuals, but it's spread out over decades of my life. Before I went to that little church in the Lutheran church, and before I went to the Baptist church, my adoptive grandmother, Clyde Perry's mother, Clarice, was a wonderful spirit-filled Texan who prayed for my brother and me because we, she saw we were secular and lost. She was praying, I'm sure, for her son and daughter-in-law. And she prayed for us throughout her life all the way to her passing in her 80s. She had been healed of cancer in the 1950s and expressed that she had a vision of Jesus who came in the hospital, put his hand on her head and ran it through her body like, like you put a fish net in to catch a little fish in an aquarium. She said it was like he filtered it out. There's a doctor here. Think about that, how Jesus came in and showed up and filtered it out. She had breast cancer. He walked away out of the room. She, she explained this. Who could argue with her? 
She had results. She came back up on her feet, healed, and lived into her 80s. Lived into her 80s. I remember when at that little Lutheran church that I didn't want to be in, they gave us really thick construction paper, they gave us tongue depressors, and they gave us cotton balls and a jar of mint-flavored paste. And I know it was mint-flavored because I ate about 40% of it. I was a fidgety little guy. Anyway, he taught us that the Lord is our shepherd, so we made sheep out of cotton balls, tongue depressors, a felt pen, and we wrote out the scriptures, and we pasted those, and we brought those home. They gave us a Dixie cup, topsoil, and a pinto bean, and said that when you sow a seed, it'll germinate and grow, and I remember those things. But what I really remember was at the end of the week, the pastor came out of that Lutheran, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church and met with us 10 or 12 kids out on a picnic bench, out on a hot, smoggy Southern California day. And I remember he patted me on the shoulder and I turned around and looked at him. And again, he was 47 feet tall, coming out of the clouds, and he had his Bible and he read scriptures to us. He read the word from the Word of God and he quoted scriptures. I sat there and I listened. I just thought that he would bother to come out was significant. It, it showed me, it demystified the whole thing. It showed me that he was there as a servant. And in fact, he sowed those seeds, and at 13 years old, they got lodged on the inside of me. And then in 1972, in November, in that same neighborhood, I was working at the Captain's Corner Restaurant in Upland, California. It was owned by an airline pilot who had twin boys who were my age, and sadly, one of them got hit by a car, and he was crushed. And I remember that vividly, and it imprinted on me. I felt so sad for my boss. I loved his sons. They were great kids. And I was so sad, and I thought, my, one of my contemporaries passed. And at 16 years old, I had an unusual sense about my own mortality, like kids are 10 feet tall and bulletproof. But I thought about it, because I had experienced that, and I saw the ache of the dad. And I had just two weeks before this said, God, if you're real, show me laying in that subdivision home on Zircon Avenue over by the orange groves at the base of Mount Baldy that you couldn't even see because of the air pollution. For three months, they said, there are mountains right there. I said, no, they're not. And then for three months, then the Santa Ana winds blew, and you could see a beautiful mountain range. We were only two miles from the base of the mountain, and it was a 10,000-plus-foot mountain. It was beautiful. It was right there all along. There are things that are obscuring right now that are trying to hinder you, that are distracting you, trying to block your vision. And I'm telling you, the rushing mighty wind of the Holy Spirit has been and is and will come. And it's, it's going to breathe and inform your doctrine and clarify your position. You, you need to understand this whole uh, new creation life and emphasize on it who you are in Christ. Over 140 times, the word in him, in whom, phrases like that, in Christ, are echoed over and over again, primarily in the epistles, that when, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a brand new creation. The old things pass away and new things come. Well, I did not understand this. In hitchhiking home, I got picked up in a contrast. The first person that picked me up uh, was on uh, Foothill Boulevard. He picked me up. He was swerving. I shouldn't have got in his car. I got in his car. I realized he was under the influence. Worst yet, he's told me he was going to take me to his house. And he said other things that were really frightening to me. I don't recommend hitchhiking. Even then, it was obviously scary. My brother and I both had episodes with it. It was a mode of transport. Then I was just hitchhiking for my restaurant job. It was a cool, hippie thing to do. 
But he was scary, and he turned. He wouldn't let me out of his car when we pulled up to an intersection, and I was so nervous. All the adrenaline was pumping through my little body. But fortunately, there was road construction. that had there, A big pile of, of soil, freshly excavated part of the road, and uh, those sawhorses with flashing lights and reflectors on it. And I, I didn't have to think twice. As soon as he stopped, he went, what, what is this? I opened the door, slammed the door, and ran as hard as I could. My mouth was dry. I was full of adrenaline. I felt like my feet weren't even touching the ground. I was so afraid, gripped with fear, that I didn't even want to stick my thumb out again. And he, blo- he dropped me off way off the main road, so now hardly any cars were passing. It's now 1 o'clock in the morning. I looked up and saw it was a moonlit night, and... Uh, you know, I saw the, the, the groves, orange groves, and it was just kind of haunting. And I had just been very traumatized by the evil intent. Man, how many of us have been delivered from things we can't even imagine? Some of us we do know. Some of us we suffered through injury. And yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Come on. Redemption has come to the world. And even Jabez, he said, man, I, I was born in pain, but God, I, wanna, I ask that you would bless me indeed that your hand would be upon me, that you'd, you'd expand my borders, and that you'd deliver me from pain. You'd open a door no man can shut. Who in here would like to see more of that in your life? The, the Redeemer has come. The Savior has come. And Jesus has a beautiful plan. He has purposes lined up for each one of us. And I want it to be really organic. There's a grassroots movement happening in our church. There's a proliferation of gifts. God has deployed and is deploying you. God has appointed you and is appointing you. God has assigned you and is assigning you. And I want to demystify some of this because if it's just the one to the many, then it's like I gave it the office. I gave it the Billy Graham crusade. Well, Billy Graham is dead. And I gave it Reinhard Bonnke. I saw three quarters of a million people in Nigeria. Reinhard passed. He's dead. But the reason Reinhard came to our church as an equipping evangelist was because he saw, get this, a marker on this church. There was another great man of God in the 90s that saw a marker on this church, and he came. The Holy Spirit spoke to him in Canton, Ohio, and said, by revelation, you're to go to that church, which was very important from his doctrinal point. I realized God was telling him to come here. And he downloaded amazing prophetic things. He saw significant things for our church, that there would be, we'd be like a tree flowering, and we would see a harvest. We got to go over and start a church in Kosovo, and the young man, Dritan Gashi, the pastor, goes out and fasts and prays on Fridays. And he said, Pastor, I saw you in a field full of wheat. And I saw you with your Bible. And I saw you voicing the gospel. Well, what I see is not one influencing many. I'm not the product of a Billy Graham or a Reinhard Bonnke crusade, although I honor it and welcome it. I'm not even the product of one-on-one. I'm actually a product of the many to the one. And this is where you come in. Because the devil will demean you. It's like it, you got to be an obnoxious person that gets in people's faces and says, have you been saved? You need to go to church. I mean, who's going to relate to that? But you know what? Your prayers matter. You're driving by and seeing somebody and lifting them up in prayer is a contribution. You're giving to the gospel in a church. It's, a, it's, a, it's part of the process. You're eventually talking to somebody. Listen, we drove by Wild Horse Creek Road and saw a white sign with red letters that said Tom Shaw Realty. And when Chelsea was a little girl, before we even moved out here, 
I said, Chelsea, stretch your hands toward that sign. I want to pray for that man. I've never met him. I don't know him, but I want to pray for him. And we began to pray for him. And, and I, I just heard about him. He was a mover shaker. Shaw Park is named after his father. He was a, the mayor of Clayton. He grew up in Clayton, went to Clayton High School. He migrated out here when this was all just uh, before it was even suburbs. And he developed it. And on the day that the Post-Dispatch called him Mr. Chesterfield and had a four-page spread in the Post-Dispatch and wrote an elegant story about how significant his contributions were to the society. He sat right over there around that area. He was next to the mayor at the time, Jack Leonard. He was next to his wife, Kathy, and a bunch of dignitaries, a bunch of city council. We were presenting in our church a play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And we were sharing in an evangelistic moment because the Lord had led us to do it. And he turned to his wife at the altar call. And uh, he said, would you mind if I went up there? Because he, he said, raise your hand, come on up here. And he raised his hand, his flowing white hair. He was a head taller than everybody, larger than life type of figure. And she said, no, you go, you go. And in between the mayor and his wife and all these friends and contemporaries, he unashamedly stood up, came forward, with about 30 or so kids. He was one of the only adults. And in fact, he said later, it was quite humbling. I said, well, you're so, unless you humble yourself as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But I watched that he did. Years after we prayed, don't underestimate, you stretch your hands and pray over somebody. Don't underestimate the seeds like the people did at Emmanuel Baptist on Galveston Street in 1961. Or like that pastor that gave the scriptures in 1969, the summer of 1969. You talk about turbulence, you talk about societal upheaval. I mean, we came through the Watts riots, there were riots at my school between the Hispanic kids and the, the Caucasian kids or whatever, it was two weeks off school. I remember a teacher selling LSD to the kids. I remember all kinds of crazy stuff that was indoctrinating in, in, our, in our school. And all in the midst of all of that, Jesus was moving. And there was a harvest. And there was a revival amongst the formal religious church. And there was a harvest amongst the lost, disenfranchised kids. So remember, I was hitchhiking, and I got picked up by a 1962 Chevy Impala with a Vietnam vet who was a few years older than me. I was 16. He was in his 20s. But he looked leathery. He told me where he was going to Fontana. And I said, well, I'm going to Alta Loma. And he said, well... I'll just give you a ride to your house. It was 10 miles, I figured it out, 10 miles out of his way. The credibility, the credibility of that service supported his message. He went out of his way to help me. By the way, he was light years different from the drug guy that was wanting to do me harm. He was like a whole contrast. And he was, the other guy was of his father, the devil. The other guy had ill intent. He was under the power of the evil one. The spirit that now works on the sons of disobedience was at work in him. But this guy, everybody say, but this guy. This guy nervously began to tell me about his testimony. He told me that in Vietnam he had combat and it was so conflicting in his life. There was such an availability of heroin that he became a junkie. And he got caught and he got, tragically, he got dishonorably discharged. And so then he got dishonorably discharged, addicted to hard drugs, and came back to a thankless country, full of conflict. 
He came into the immoral, indulgent 60s, 70s period and went into that whole hedonistic thing. And he told me just in a moment that he cheated on his wife and his wife left him. His relationship was uh, failed. He said to me, he paused and he said, you know, I tried Eastern religions that were available and none of them satisfied me. And he took another deep breath and nervously with a little bit of stammering, a little bit of stutter, said, Jesus changed my life. When he said it, it went right over my head. Remember, I was hardened. I had no hope. I was unchurched. I wasn't just unchurched. I was unsaved. And I was under the power of the evil one. And yet, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. He gave me a gospel tract. I went home and I read it. And I prayed the sinner's prayer on my bed at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. I smelled like shrimp from working in the seafood restaurant. I'm sure that he had to deal with that in his memory. So I want to I just iterate this to you because there's one on many, and that's important. I believe in, I believe in crusade evangelism. One-on-one, on one, we're all called to be soul winners, but sometimes we feel uh, inordinate pressure. And, and I just want to tell you that let's just be led by the Holy Spirit, but let's make it our goal to sow these precious seeds and share Jesus in, in a non-threatening and effective way as best as we can. That's why I'm teaching this doctrine of salvation. So you are adequate and equipped for every good work. How many of you think it's a good work to lead someone from darkness to light? And yet, let's face it, there's an invisible barrier of fear. None of us want to be rejected. None of us want to come across like religious bigots or like harsh or weird or awkward. But that is not what God's called us to. He's called us to be who we are and to shine and thrive in, in, in the ways that God calls us to. Listen, I watched Tom Shaw get saved. And then he almost died a few times. And he said, he said three or four times, he said, every time I woke up in the hospital, somebody from St. Louis Family Church was hovering over me. Maybe like that 47-foot-tall Baptist guy that came and said, this is your Bible. But he, but he meant it in a good way. And then he eventually did pass in, in a ripe old age, saved. I did a service, for, I did a service that, that, that was a memorial to a Tom. And then the last one on, Sunday, on Thursday night, two days ago, three days ago, was for Tom Kosky. Tom Kosky was the Lutheran pastor that spent eight years at Concordia Seminary that went out and pioneered a church in Alta Loma, California called King of Glory Lutheran Church that showcased a vacation Bible school. And the reason we found out about it with each other and it came full circle is because I was telling about the impact that little simple gesture, seemingly insignificant thing, had on my spirit, on my life, that I attribute that as an aspect of what nudged me out of darkness. It's God, you're here today. What you've been through, what you're facing, Listen, God wants to use you. God wants to do extraordinary things through you. And yet, don't underestimate the simple things, the little things. That, remember that pinot bean in the Dixie cup with the topsoil? A seed will grow. It'll germinate and grow. You plant it and water it, but God causes the growth. There was seed sown at Emmanuel Baptist in 1961. Then there was seed sown at King of Glory uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church in 1969. And then there was seed sown not too far from there in the 1962 Chevy Impala by the testimony of the Vietnam veteran who told me Jesus changed his life. I told him, I think there are many paths to God. He said, I used to believe that. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Remember I said Jesus did not come to create another world religion. He did not come to impose more ritual or religious routine, nor to shackle people with the traditions of men. But he did come to do God's will. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. And he came to restore people back to God and to establish and build his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Adam failed. Jesus succeeded. That's the reason we're Christians. We relate to Jesus because he came to set the captives free. This is the purpose behind the new birth. To take a sinful, fallen, old creature alienated from God, and to recreate a righteous new creation, alive to God, able to serve God from the heart. Out of darkness, into light. I'm the product of that moment on the street where a church was outreach-oriented. I'm a product of, the, of that moment in the summer of a church that was outreach-oriented. This is part of the reason why I honor the body of Christ and all the, the diversity of the denominations, because I have been impacted through, from those environments, because the gospel is powerful in whatever context, and in particular in you as an individual. Come on, hallelujah, I'm getting excited. And, and I want us to be relatable and carry this, and I, I'm running out of time, but I want to finish 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, but I, but I want to also talk about Jill Cosby. Jill Cosby came to my subdivision house at the same time that I had the private moment with the track, the gospel literature, in my room and prayed the sinner's prayer. But God didn't want it to just be privatized. He wanted me in the context of church. So a man named Ralph Wilkerson started a church in a place called Melody Land, which was a, an entertainment environment in Anaheim, California. And he had an outreach to Upland, California. And there was a pastor, a young pastor there that was in a little church, and he was preaching sermons, and a girl named Jill from my high school came to my house and invited me to church. I went with her. I went there, and I experienced the culture of the kingdom, not unlike the environment in here. Open, receptive, loving, genuine, authentic. I felt it. It was a contrast to the dog-eat-dog world that I was in. The friend that got hit by a car, the other kid that took second all downers and died in prison in a jail one night from partying. And I knew him well. I was looking at that and I was looking at how haunting things were, how society was clashing. It made me nervous. And yet I find people that are like in an oasis. They're, they're not in denial. They're not in escapism. They're, they're, they're just, you know, a bunch of people from different walks of life. The night I got saved, with a Mexican guy got saved. He was about my, just a little younger than my parents. There were hippie, ex-hippies. There, there was an Eagle Boy Scout that had gotten saved from being a good guy. It was fascinating. It was very eclectic. They sang praises, you know, and they would love one another. And I thought, wow, I'm having an encounter with the kingdom of God. This is different than I thought. The cold churches, the, the beige world that I visited, my brother and I would just be dragged to, and you know, we just didn't relate to it. It was like the Charlie Brown movies, rah, 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 you know. But this resonated with me. 
These people meant it. They were secure. There, there was change. They were in trouble with drugs, and now they're not. The other guy that wasn't in trouble was no longer leaning on his niceness. He said he got saved from being a good person because none are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we all need Jesus. So even Mr. Chesterfield, on the day he was exalted in the prestigious post-dispatch, was also the day that he got lifted up and his name was recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hallelujah. Don't underestimate a drive-by of prayer. A seed sown at a gas station where you're working and they see you for 15 years and you don't feel like you can really witness without coming across like a religious nerd. But yet you do your work heartily unto the Lord and they're amused, at least amused by you. And you're, you're a living epistle, so they're watching you. Listen, after Tom Shaw's service, my wife said, oh, let's go get a meal. So I went to this place. So let's get a, win- a seat by the window. There were none available. So we sat in a booth. And we sat there, we ordered up our bacon and eggs and so forth. And our waiter, young man named Dominic, wearing a mask, bushy hair, serving coffee. I was writing down notes about Tom Kosky's service. I was reminiscing about him, how he was the pastor that came full circle and ended up in our church. Because I shared about how that little impression made such a big difference and that we were doing jump inspired by the fruit in that group of 12 or 10 kids. And I saw the seed of a church that invited unsaved kids to get involved with the church play. And I thought about the service of a guy driving me 10 miles out of my way and how it created a leverage moment where I couldn't deny that there was something substantial about what all these messages were all about. And do you see Jesus doing a work on a young person's heart? And then I made a public declaration in that meeting. What was private became public. I confessed him before men, and the, and the rest is history. So I was preparing for the Tom Kosky service, and Dominic said, yeah, I don't mean to be rude, but are you preparing for a funeral? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. I said, well, let me tell you who, who I lost. And I told the story about how this man prayed for me when I was a kid in 1969 and how it came all. He said, I go to Mass every day. I, I didn't used to. But, and I said, it's not about whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic. The main thing is Jesus. I wanted to make sure I just made that differentiation. It's, it's not about the pedigree or the denomination or that. It's about if, if that you must be born from above. Just like there's a birth. How many of you have a birthday? You, some of you deny it and you're 29. or I'm, I'm over 28. How many of you have actually had a new birthday? It's amazing, isn't it? And it's not a process. You get instantly forgiven. That 8,000-pound gorilla gets pulled off of you, and you become a new creation. Then you get, well, you come out of darkness and into light. You come out of the dominion of Satan and into the lordship of Jesus. And that's where we're at right now. Come on. That's what the Baptists were trying to tell me when I was five. That's what the Lutheran guy was trying to tell me when I was 13. That's what the Vietnam veteran was telling me when I was 16 and what Jill brought me to when I heard from Pastor Bob out in Southern Cal when they told messages like this and it got me started and it ignited something on the inside of me. And now we've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And now I hear the music. That's the consolation music that I've got to hasten my speech. So let's finish with two verses, shall we? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll read verse 19 through 21 and John chapter 1 verse 12, and then we'll be done. Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Namely, look at this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we're praying. Please be reconciled to God. Please be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He took a trade. He said, I'm pure and righteous. I have a relationship with my father, but I'll take all that degradation, all that darkness, all that sin nature, and I will let you become a partaker of my divine nature. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, so that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's finish with one of my favorite scriptures, John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. As many as received him, this is important, to them, look at this, he gives the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Remember Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I've heard, I've heard religious people say, that's too cheap, that's too easy. Listen, we don't, cannot afford the luxury of complexity right now. Jesus made it where a child could understand it. And that crowd of kids with that Mr. Chesterfield all at the same time, that's how it works. And the gospel is the power of God. And the ministry of reconciliation is embedded actually in the word of reconciliation. And that's our appeal. You can be saved. And that's what the guy said to me who came through heroin and, and, a, and, and being dismissed by the military, being dismissed by his mate, having failure after failure. And he told me Jesus changed his life. And it looked authentic to me in the context of a simple ride 10 miles out of his way just to let a lost teenager at one o'clock in the morning know that there's a contrast between the crazy drug guy and the new, newly saved guy who used to be the crazy drug guy. And then it showed me the power, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. Whoo! There's going to be a revival in the church and there's going to be a harvest amongst the lost. And somehow by the grace of God, you and me as individuals, us as your family, us as a people, us as a church, the body of Christ generally, it, the, the, the Lord is so good at being the head of the church. He's so smart and he throws out the Holy Spirit on all flesh and he's our teacher and the word is available to all of us and we're surrounded with favor as a shield and there are opportunities that are knocking there are doors that are opening there are prayers that God's going to prompt you to pray there are people that you're going to be able to share with that need the gospel more than once you're going to hear people say you sound like my aunt you sound like my mom you sound like my sister you sound like my grandma you said and I'm telling you God is about to set things up the Lord of the harvest is sending forth laborers into the harvest field Lift up your eyes and see it. Lift up your eyes past the news cycle. Lift, lift up your eyes past all the harshness. Lift up, let, Daniel had to do it in Babylon when it was crazy. Joseph had to do it in Egypt when it was crazy. Paul had to do it in Rome when it was completely whack. That Vietnam vet had to do it during the 60s and 70s and the turbulence of where I lived in California. It was crazy. Sure, it's crazy right now, but God on this amazing dimension is stable and solid and pure and true. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
As many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. John 1, 12. Uh, even to those who believe in his name, look at this, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Everybody say a new birth. I saw Tom have a new birth. Tom Kosky sowed seed, and he didn't see my brother and me respond. But years and years later, I was telling him the story, and he came up and he said, was it on Baseline Boulevard? Was it in Alta Loma? Was it in 1969? That was, my, I was the pastor. Man, the clouds parted. Oh. And here's this beautiful, elegant man, now elderly, came full circle. We both ended up transplanted from California right here. He and Carlene found their way here. And I think it was for a lot of reasons, but one of them is just to bring this amazing testimony into this atmosphere. That's the God I serve. That's what God does. He answers your prayer. Get in faith, have your faith grow. You matter. You say, well, I haven't witnessed anybody for a long time, Pastor Jeff. I don't even know what to say with these stupid masks. We don't even know how to speak to each other. I can't, I can't, I read lips so people go, rah, 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 rah. how am I supposed to share Jesus? Well, yeah, you must, or I must be born again. What? You must be born again. It's like, what? It's so we're trusting God for method, methodology. He'll show us what to do. But we need to understand the multitudes and we need to understand the message. Methods are God's business. We, we just need to understand the harvest is plenteous. There are Christians who need to be encouraged and there are lost souls that need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I'm a product of the many to the one. I'm a product of a simple prayer, a simple gesture, a vacation Bible school on a hot summer day, a, a, a seed sown with a gospel tract on a hitchhiking moment, a, a girl inviting me to church, a young pastor be preaching his heart out in, in, in a thankless, underappreciated kind of setting, and yet God turned it around. Let's all stand up on our feet, hallelujah. Did I say I was gonna finish? I want you guys to go out with joy, be led forth with peace, and I have a word for you from Numbers chapter six. Can I read it to you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And I invoke the name of Jesus over this house, just like Aaron invoked the name of God over the uh, Israel. And I speak in the name of Jesus, demons must flee. In the name of Jesus, be saved from this perverse generation. In the name of Jesus, sin patterns break. In the name of Jesus, barriers drop. In the name of Jesus, doors open. In the name of Jesus, favor surrounds you. In the name of Jesus, signs, wonders, and miracles, and the angels of the Lord all around encamping you. I pray the blessing of God on you, a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. I, go, I pray you go out with joy, you're led forth with peace. Mountains and hills break forth before you, and the trees of the field clap their hands. God bless you guys. See you next week. Have a great day. Hallelujah.